Hello, and welcome to episode four of Speaking of MedTech, a new podcast series from MedTech Insight on all things medical devices. I'm MedTech Insight Executive Editor Sean Schmidt. And I'm Steve Silverman, a former compliance director for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Device Center. I'm now head of the Silverman Group, a consultancy for industry. Digital health is the subject of today's show, and it's a topic with many tentacles. You know, Steve, the term digital health is extremely loaded and can include anything from software as a medical device or SAMD to new mobile devices, such as wearable wellness products and apps that can be used to treat patients and much, much more. So because there's an abundance of things we could talk about that would fall under that huge umbrella of digital I think it's best if we home in on the regulatory side of digital, and that is the FDA side of digital, and some of the more important related policies and activities that are going on at the agency right now. I think that's right, Sean. As you said, the term digital is incredibly broad. Even if we're only talking about digital medical products, we're still chalking a huge field. So yes, let's keep our focus today on the FDA's regulation of digital products. That's a bit more manageable, and I think there are some useful insights for listeners. Sounds good. So let's get rolling. So, Steve, last month you wrote an opinion piece from MedTechInsight.com with the headline, What Does Digital Mean for FDA's Device Center? And in it you wrote, quote, You can't swing a dead mouse without hitting a digital product. I see you got a mouse pun in there. Nice. But... Let's unpack that a bit to start. Define for us what a digital medical device is and how it compares to a conventional one. It's interesting, Sean. There's no FDA definition of, quote, digital device, close quote. So I'd suggest a common sense look at the words. First is digital. I could give a technical definition, but in the medical device context, digital means digital. It's typically computer-related, like SAMD, or even the hardware component of a conventional device. It's obviously not like a traditional device you can touch and feel like, say, a heart stent. And a device is a device, as defined by the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. That means it operates to treat a disease or affect a medical condition, and that it doesn't achieve its primary purpose through action within the body. Then you put these definitions together to understand that a digital device is a conventional, FDA-regulated device that operates exclusively or significantly through digital technology. Okay, let's talk about the oversight of these digital products. How are they regulated by the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health, or CDRH? That's a really important question. Fundamentally, digital devices are devices, which means they're subject to basic CDRH requirements like approval or clearance, quality requirements, and post-market requirements like adverse event reporting and product recalls. At the same time, Sean, some aspects of devices are fundamentally different, and CDRH accounts for this. Take product design, for example. Traditional device design uses a sequential stage-gated approach where one design phase follows another. Digital devices, by contrast, often use an agile design model, which is much more iterative and fluid. CDRH knows that forcing digital design into poor-fitting traditional structures would be a fail. So the Device Center recognizes that it must allow more flexible technology-based practices. At the same time, the basic requirements for medical device design controls is not going away. 
where there will be flex is in the how that requirement is met. And, of course, you mean design controls under FDA's quality system regulation, which is, I believe, Section 820.30. It is. Since I brought up the quality system reg, or actually, I guess you did, I think it's okay to shamelessly plug our last episode of Speaking of MedTech, which was Episode 3, where you and I talked about the agency's ongoing harmonization of the QSR with the standard ISO 1345. So... Listeners should check that out at medtechinsight.com. But at this point, I think they'll find Jimmy Hoffa before we see this draft harmonized quality systems rule, but I digress. Um, okay, so getting back on track here, does CDRH take a different approach to regulating digital products than it would a more traditional one? The underlying requirements aren't different. What's different is a willingness to consider new approaches to satisfying those requirements. Also, what's different is the energy that CDRH is dedicating to digital devices. This is evident in public communication, guidance documents, and the formation of the agency's new Digital Health Center of Excellence. Yeah, FDA is doing a lot of interesting things at its digital center, and it's only been up and running for a bit over a year now. So do you think there are any areas where CDRH will stick with traditional regulatory practices, you know, maybe around device clearance and approval or maybe good manufacturing practice? Definitely, yes. Here's the takeaway for listeners. Digital is a huge deal for all of FDA, including CDRH. And yes, CDRH will make accommodations for digital device makers. But these accommodations will determine how the device makers meet basic regulatory requirements, not whether they have to meet those requirements. So, for example, there may be differences in clinical trials or recalls or device manufacturing, but the underlying requirements for clinical trial data, product recalls, and good manufacturing practice are not going away. So, Steve, do you see any room for regulatory give by the agency for digital? Well, I think the question here is how do stakeholders know where there will be regulatory give, not whether there will be regulatory give. And that's because the give is already happening. So what does this give look like? In some respects, it's official and knowable. We just talked about the Digital Health Center of Excellence. That center's website includes a long list of publications describing how CDRH will accommodate digital devices. This runs the gamut from how device software functions should be handled in pre-market submissions to clinical evaluation of software as a medical device. In other cases, CDRH is considering accommodations on a case-specific basis. So if there's a topic that hasn't been formally addressed, there's good reason to raise it with CDRH staff to see what they will or won't do. So how exactly does the Device Center's digital health practices advance the FDA's public health protection mandate? Good question, and that's another critical question, so I'll answer it with a sophisticated response. It depends. I'm being facetious, so I'll explain why I say that. A while back, I was talking with a former FDA colleague who's super smart and insightful. The digital topic came up, and she made some really good points. She correctly noted that digital doesn't always mean better. Rather, it's context-specific. For example, a radiologist's ability to see new images through digital technology can be literally life-saving. But does an orthopedist need digital for a knee replacement? Maybe, but I think that case is less clear. 
So in the CDRH arena, context matters. By maintaining flexibility and adapting sometimes outdated models, CDRH makes critical digital devices available to patients and healthcare providers. At the same time, digital doesn't mean all bets are off. CDRH has to make accommodations where digital technology promotes public health. But CDRH also has to protect public health itself by assuring that digital products meet fundamental regulatory requirements. Okay, so we've mentioned it a few times. So let's talk about the FDA's new digital health center. I think the goal for the FDA when it launched this center is that it would be used to help the agency wrap its head around the many, many issues related to digital health tech. So let's press on that a bit more here and maybe highlight the role the center is playing. Yeah, I'm a big fan, Sean. I think the Digital Health Center is exactly what FDA needs to show it's serious about this technology and that digital topics go beyond any given product area. We see digital questions for drugs and biologics as well as for medical devices. So how does the Digital Health Center engage with CDRH for digital devices? Which of the two has final authority over these products? Bottom line, Sean, CDRH is the, quote, decider. It has ultimate authority for approval and oversight of medical devices, including digital devices. At the same time, the Digital Health Center plays a key role. Digital devices often are novel with distinct and complex technology. It's unrealistic to expect CDRH staff to have in-depth understanding of digital technology. But the Digital Health Center staff does. So these staff members can work in partnership with their CDRH counterparts to fully understand and assess digital devices. Do you have any advice on how stakeholders should engage these two centers, the device center and the digital health center? Sure. Smart stakeholders will know how these centers operate and how they interact and engage both centers when that's the right strategy. Let me be more specific and offer an example. Let's say I'm a device maker with a new digital product that's different from conventional devices. Of course, CDRH has final say-so, and I need to satisfy established practices for device review, manufacturing, adverse event reporting, etc. But there's a role for the Digital Health Center, too. Staff there can advise me of agency positions and practices that may make it easier for me to market my product. And staff may be able to help me engage CDRH reviewers. For example, by explaining to them my product's technology, how it meets regulatory requirements, and how it serves public health. The point here is that both centers have specific rules and offer specific benefits. Smart stakeholders know this and know how to engage both centers to maximize results. Okay, we've mentioned software as a medical device or SAMD a few times, so maybe we should talk about the new draft guidance doc out of the FDA that industry has been waiting for for a very long time. The draft, if or I guess when it's finalized, it would regulate not only SAMD but also software in a medical device or SIMD. The guidance would replace one from 2005 that industry is still using to this day. So give us some insight here. This is a guidance to keep an eye on, no? Okay. First, Sean, I'm really troubled by your claim that 16 years is a very long time. Um, I used to take extensions on all my college papers, so I don't feel like I'm in a position to judge. I think that release of this guidance is very significant. 
and that it highlights the importance of digital devices. And I don't think that the guidance's timing is an accident. FDA and CDRH especially are still grappling with a worldwide pandemic, which puts intense pressure on all available resources. Plus the underlying landscape, digital technology, is evolving faster than ever. So why this guidance at this time? The answer, I think, is that CDRH is all in on digital devices. These devices will play a fundamental role in the diagnosis and treatment of disease and other medical conditions. But this future requires a clearly chalked field. Device makers need to know which regulatory requirements will continue to apply irrespective of technology and where there can be changes to make technology more readily available. FDA has charted paths for software as and software in medical devices. That's a huge lift, and the beneficial impact for digital device technology will be equally huge. It's all interesting stuff, Steve. Yeah, I agree completely, Sean. As I've said before, digital is here to stay. It's becoming a key aspect of products that span FDA from devices to drugs to biologics and more. Remember, though, that even CDRH does not believe that digital is a holy grail. It's a technology, and it will shape and improve diverse products. But basic regulatory requirements like product review and approval, manufacturing requirements, product recall, and adverse event reporting are not going away. Hey, Steve, before we end today's show, I have to ask you, as a former compliance chief at CDRH, what do you think about Bob Califf's nomination to be FDA commissioner? I mean, we've known for a few weeks now that this nomination was imminent, so it wasn't much of a shocker. But what do you think about this choice by President Biden? Yeah, most important, Sean, it's about time. It's not unprecedented to have long periods between FDA commissioners. But 10 months have passed without a nominee as FDA grapples with the global pandemic. That's unprecedented, and it puts the agency at a real disadvantage. Have the product centers performed heroically, and do they get critical products to patients and healthcare providers? Yes. But there are other jobs that the commissioner is uniquely positioned to do, like engaging Congress and the administration and leading cross-center initiatives. And the lack of a commissioner puts extra pressure on FDA staff who are totally engaged in managing the pandemic crisis. Also, Sean, I think that Bob Califf is an excellent choice. His stature as a public health leader who knows the substantive issues facing FDA is beyond question. He's an academic and a cardiologist for Pete's sake. Adding to this, Dr. Califf knows how to be FDA commissioner. He had the job, and before that, he was a senior agency leader. There's a lot of muscle memory here, and I think this means that Dr. Califf can get up to speed quickly and start leading and advocating for FDA. And with the many challenges that the agency is facing, that kind of representation is critical. Okay, so you talked about the fact that FDA hasn't had a nominee um, for many, many months, um, hasn't had a full-time commissioner um, in a long time. Do you think that has played into the delays in the draft of the quality system regulation? Sean, it's a really interesting and a very complicated question. And so I'm going to give you yet another sophisticated response, yes and no. And what I mean by that is this. There is no question that when FDA releases 
complex and significant regulations like this one, even a draft as they did here, that's a major event. And having a strong commissioner in place to guide and be an advocate for that process is really effective. It's possible that had there been an FDA commissioner in place, release of these draft regulatory provisions would have occurred sooner. At the same time, I think the answer is also no. And what I mean by that, Sean, is that there is a lot of bureaucratic process in place around any agency release, whether it's a draft guidance or, in this case, draft regulatory changes. There still has to be review through FDA, through HHS, sometimes outside of HHS. And with the transition to this new administration, which wants to pay close attention to what all agencies are doing and to make sure that the agency action is on track with administration priorities, it doesn't surprise me to think that this particular regulation may have been a heavy lift. Okay, so let's talk about some of the criticism you know, that we've heard in some quarters that Caleb shouldn't take the job because he has ties with industry. What do you make of that? Look, Sean, put simply, that perspective is off base. A competent FDA leader has to be able to critically consider industry perspectives. Industry is the primary stakeholder of FDA, and their perspectives inform in a positive way many fundamental agency decisions. So as a primary stakeholder, who's going to do a better job of advising the agency of industry views? And who's going to be better able to understand that input? Somebody who has actually interacted with industry or somebody for whom industry is a blank page. And I know the real worry is about industry capture, but I defy anyone to present credible evidence that capture is a real concern here. Okay, so that closes out today's podcast. You can catch our next episode of Speaking of MedTech in three weeks, when our focus will be on the ongoing medical device user fee amendments negotiations between the FDA and industry, also known as MEDUFA 5. In the meantime, you can read Steve's op-ed with the headline, What Does Digital Mean for FDA's Device Center? Online now at medtechinsight.com. It's in front of our paywall for easy access, so do check that out. And while you're at medtechinsight.com, you can listen to our full suite of insightful podcasts, including MedTech Insight's weekly Device Week podcast, where our journalists talk about current events in the MedTech space. And always remember, you can find us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening. Music.